0: ¿Qué pasa cuando muero? What happens when I die? What happens when I die? What happens when I die?
1: ¿Qué pasa cuando muero?
0: What, what happened- happens when I die? What happens when I die? ¿Qué pasa cuando muero? What happens when I die? What happens when I die? What happens when I die with me? tw one everyone welcome to what happens when I die with TW Warren. I am your host, TW. You may be wondering what is this podcast about? what what is it? Why is it here? How does it affect me? Uh, hopefully you learn something. hopefully it eases any kind of fear or strife you have. Before we get started, I figured I would let you know who I am and why I'm doing this. Like I said, I'm TW. Warren. I'm an artist, writer, occultist, musician comedian a bunch of different things you probably know me from either cheesy gordita bunch land of cheese and sauce or from uh, a couple of articles that i've written for a number of sites around the internet i wanted to do this podcast because i am afraid of death I am almost 30 years old, and in my 30 years of existing, I still can't comprehend the fact that everything I know and understand and participate in will one day be gone from me. Um, outside of that, I'm also afraid of what happens after I die. Where do I go? Which one is the right one? Which one is the true one when it comes to all of the different forms uh, of existence? You know, and... I thought for this first episode I would maybe write out a script and uh, <laughs> read it there, uh, but it's it's too it's too personal of a thing to try to write out and read and hope for the best. So uh, let's just uh, get into why <laughs> why I am the way I am. I was raised, like many Americans, I was raised Christian, evangelical, uh, a little fundamentalist Christian, with a lot of fire and brimstone being the main point of why we joined this religion. Uh, Or if you're like me, why we're indoctrinated into this religion. Um, It has affected me in ways that I am still unpacking and coming to terms with. Um, When I was young, I was very gung-ho about the church, you know, even from, like, a child from, like, six or seven. I used to be part of a a WANA, which is, like, Boy Scouts for for Christians, and instead of learning how to handle... uh, Living out in nature or participating in my community, we were forced to read uh, standalone scripture absent from its context and try to memorize it. And the more you memorized, the more like points you got. It was it was um, it's kind of stupid in hindsight to like look back and to be like, why would you do this? Even as somebody who isn't Christian but tries to respect religious texts taking taking scripture out of context and forcing a bunch of children to remember it is kind of fucked up. And I remember specifically one night uh, at Awana, they did a, uh, a lock-in, like a sleepover for all of the, the kids. The main pastor who was in charge of everything asked us all the question of an earthquake were to strike right now, who would get into heaven first? And his conclusion was that he would because he's had the longer relationship with God. And it didn't take it it took me about twenty years to realize like, oh, that's kinda fucked. That's kinda kinda fucked up. Uh and and things like that from the church would go on to really affect my mental health without me even realizing it. You know, I had my first uh my first depressive episode at like age twelve. You know, some of it granted, some of it isn't like just the church, there's a lot of other things that lead to mental health. It's not as simple as like this is the one thing and you need to fix it. But it definitely didn't help because a lot of the depression and the suicidal ideation that came with it was like, fuck, dude, if I'm not good enough for the Lord, why am I here? (laughs) Uh, And it led to it led to panic attacks. It led to I remember 15 years old crying to my parents about how I didn't want to die. And I felt like I was having a heart attack. It was not not a fun time. I ended up leaving the church like 20 yeah no sooner than that at 18 after I graduated high school uh cause I stopped I stopped going to church around 17 and then I completely abandoned the church at 18 and for a brief period of time I was better you know being an atheist um I thought this would be it you know I all of the the fear and everything would be gone and now uh It it was still there, but it had a different cloak on. Instead of uh, fire and brimstone, it was just annihilation. And that didn't do anything better. It didn't help. I didn't feel better. I didn't appreciate things more. I still suffered from mental illness. And I was like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) what do I do? You know, I remember I was living in California. I was 20 years old, didn't have a job. The only thing that kept me going was uh, sleight of hand magic. You know, I was constantly thinking about ending it all. And I was like, well, I'll learn one more trick. And then from there, uh, it ended up being the thing that saved me. (laughs) You know, one more trick and then I'll do it. I was like, well, I learned that one pretty quick. So let's do one more. It was around that time I thought maybe getting back into the church was what I needed to do, and I was asked to stop performing sleight of hand magic because it was a tool of the devil. Uh, <laughs> and uh, while getting back into church and sleight of hand magic, it was kind of a oxymoron because a lot of magic, a lot of sleight of hand magic, is very skeptic heavy and uh, I would say anti-religion at times. So I had these two different dichotomies kind of fighting each other of like, all right, which one do I engage with more? And I chose magic and I dove into skepticism and through skepticism, I got further into atheism and through skepticism and atheism and sleight of hand magic, I discovered uh, levian Satanism, which is just, uh, you know, alt-light, uh, edgelord ha-ha, look it, I'm the thing you're afraid of kind of stuff. And I was still depressed and I was still having panic attacks and anxiety and was still not excited for what happened on the other end. So I, uh, through Satanism, which is very anti- Uh, spirituality, and uh, any kind of, you know, I I don't want to call it anti-theology, but definitely anti-mysticism. Through that, I ended up finding out that Anton LaVey was an armchair occultist. He loved reading and studying old occult texts, like from Alistair Crowley and uh, um, John Dee, and uh, it led me into a realm of occultism. Through this stuff I discovered writers like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison and Robert Anton Wilson and that threw me even further into different occult writers and different occult philosophers and thinkers and I ended up discovering Uh, The occult, which I'm not going to dive super deep into because, you know, you bring up the occult, people think like Wicca or uh, witches, and they're like, oh, this guy who, uh, oh, this is a person who, uh, you know, sucks on rose quartz and sticks their butthole at the sun, Um, but the the section of the occult that I got into was more about ritual and daily practices, and it ended up creating a very a very structured system in my life that allowed me to start uh, compartmentalizing or decompartmentalizing these compartments I had built. And I was actually able to address a lot of mental health issues through the occult, because for me... The occult is more of a metaphor. It's more of an exploration of the if, you know? So it, it got me to start appreciating life and not necessarily worrying about what happens when I die because death is just another metaphor. It's just another stage. And that was really great up until about twenty. 18, when things started falling apart again. Uh, Life was getting pretty hard. I had been fired from a job. Uh, Me and my partner had been fighting. Uh, Even though she was very supportive of uh, of the firing, there was still a lot of stress. So I started to slip into my depression again. My anxiety started to come back. And about a year later, COVID hit. And we were all confronted with mass death, and my mental health had already been crumbling. And somehow that void just slipped through those cracks and bit by bit destroyed me and my mental health. I became violently depressed. I wasn't able to see my friends. I wasn't able to do things. And this is something that we've all, you know, we all went through this. And we all are worse because of it. All of our mental health started to tank. And in the tail end of 2020, a friend of mine committed suicide. And it was... The first time I ever had to face death head-on as an adult. Before that, the only time I had ever been to a funeral was at the age of five when my uncle died. And as a five-year-old, you can't really grasp the concept of death. But as an adult, in the middle of a pandemic, I'm here. Facing a friend who is significantly younger than I was at the time, cold and gone in a wooden box, surrounded by grieving loved ones. And I know everybody out there had a similar experience in 2020 and 2021, a a loved one in a box being confronted with the indifference of the universe. And it's hard, and frustrating, and scary, and it leads us to think, well, what happens to me? You know, what is it like for me when I'm in that box? And that's kind of what this podcast is about. What happens to us when we're in that box? and when i say what happens to us i don't necessarily mean the physical you know i it's not just about the chemicals that fire through our brain and the decomposition of our body uh you know i'm not coming at it with a with a dr manhattan the the number of molecules in a dead body and a live one are the same it's not it's not that kind of thing it's it's more of a Security blanket slash confrontation. Because you know, being raised Christian and the fear of fire and brimstone and diving through the occult and through skepticism and atheism, there's, there's still no definitive answer of what happens when you know the light goes out. Does our consciousness go somewhere else? Do, are we aware the entire time? You know, are we locked into our bodies, still able to? see and hear everything that's going on even though technically we've been dead for days nobody knows you know just because you know just because there's no brain activity does that mean that there isn't a consciousness and it's it's a crippling conversation to have and i figured i would be the one to have it for myself and i think bringing other people along for the ride would be nice does that make sense? Because I don't know. I'm sure there are other people out there who have had the same fear. Uh, I know that because I've already had uh, a couple of guests that I've booked for this show who are like, oh yeah, this is perfect. I have the same fear. So hopefully this ends up being cathartic For some other people out there. Um, To talk more about the show, I figured let's give you a brief rundown of what to expect. Each episode, I'm going to have somebody on and we are going to just talk. Not about anything in particular, whatever ends up coming up. You know, just natural conversation, ask some questions, try to understand, you know, the person I'm talking to. And then I will ask the question, so what happens when I die? And they will tell me. And they can be as subjective or as objective as they want. They can be as serious or as silly. They can be as long-winded or as short-form as they would like. They can tell me via a poem or a song, through prose, through verse, uh, through a picture. If that's what they need to do, they can share their theories. They can share their beliefs. It can be religious. It could be non-religious. It can be, uh, it could be, you know, uh, a. It can be a mono-religion. It can be a pantheon religion. It can be whatever they want because, because I figure the more answers we get and the more of a selection we see and the more opportunity we have to explore these things, I think the fear of what if will disappear because we are naming them all we're naming as many what-ifs as we can so when we get to that point where it's time for us to check out we can go I'm not really afraid because I know it's one of these things and I hope it brings me some comfort and I hope it brings you the listener some comfort So this is a pretty short episode. I just wanted to get out what this was going to be about. And from here on out, it's going to be all interviews with uh, close friends, some guests from different podcasts I've I've been in or sites that I've written for, musician friends, occultist friends, artist friends, big names, hopefully at some point, small names of people you've never heard of. Uh, at some point, I plan on just going out onto the street and asking them random, random strangers and then compiling it into a, uh, into a compilation episode of just strangers telling me what happens to me when I die. So, before I sign off, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TW Warren. You can follow me on Letterboxd at TW Warren. Um. That's where I spend most of my social media time. And before I go, I'm going to leave you with a Buddhist prayer that we will end every show with, which is aging is normal for me, illness is normal for me, death is normal for me. I have been and will continue to be T.W. Warden. Thanks for listening. Bye.